Hi, Bill. How are you doing today? Hey, Robin, I'm living the dream, man. How are you? Also living the dream. Any opportunity to talk to you makes me happy and warm inside. This lovely, fuzzy feeling I can't put my finger on. You know or what? I... I look forward to it every single time. That's And oh, that's the truth. <laughs> you got to say that. You got to say that. Oh, my goodness. Well, th this week, I think I'll start. Instead of letting you go first, I'll be rude and take the helm. And I you know, like I think talk... everybody is going to like that better, Robin. That's good. Oh, good. Yeah, right. I guess our viewership is about to drop off in the first <laughs> few seconds. Oh, that, that guy again. I sincerely doubt him. that. No, there's been a lot <laughs> in the news. What you got, man? Well, I'd like to start with the BBC, the British Airways, Boots and Aer Lingus and several others. Not just one attack. There's been mm. a growing number of organizations hit by a mass attack. Now, some staff in the BBC, they've been warned that personal data, including national insurance numbers, that's social security numbers for you folks, and bank details may have been stolen in one way or another. Now, this is lots of organizations that have all been hit simultaneously. Now, we believe cyber criminals, I love that term, cyber criminals, <laughs> they've broken to a prominent piece of software to gain access to multiple companies in one go. One bowling ball, 10 pins, all struck. So currently, we're not seeing any reports of ransom demands, extortion being sought or money stolen, but there's challenges. Now, this is the start of something big, Bill. British sure. Airways have also said they've been impacted and the British Broadcasting Corporation, the good old Beeb, they've said that staff ID numbers, dates of birth, and home addresses have also been leaked. And this is breaking news. This is news in progress. Right. Now, the UK's National Cybersecurity Center, the NCSC, I got it right this time. Yes. They said they're monitoring the information. They're saying they're tracking the organizations. They believe that it's compromised software that people have used to exploit and carry it out. Now, we believe this to be attributed to the MoveIt software. Have you ever heard of MoveIt? Certainly have, and a lot of talk around it right now. Indeed. You like to move it, move it. <laughs> so in short, it's a transfer tool. If you've never heard of it before, it's a way of secure, um, transferring data between one vendor or one entity and another entity. And it's super popular in the US. And we're using it over in EMEA to just move large quantities of data from sure. one secured entity to another. Hmm. Now, this, in, this excitingly has been developed and designed for secure file transfer. That's the entire point yeah. of it, secure file. Other vendors in the space might include Excellion or Exavault. They're just ways of getting data from point A to point B. Absolutely. However, people have found a way to break in. Now, there's one vendor called Progress Software. And Progress Software, who make MoveIt, said it alerted customers as soon as the hack was discovered and they quickly patched it. But they also come up with a very interesting, very interesting statement. And this statement is saying that they need to try and combat increasingly sophisticated and persistent cyber criminals. Now, I like the tool increasingly sophisticated. Yes. Now, you and I, both know. Anybody listening right now, we all know that that attacks aren't becoming increasingly sophisticated. People's security posture is the thing that's wrong. It's incredibly disjointed. People have too many tools and too many holes. And I hope that doesn't get us rated PG-13 or higher. <laughs> but it's life has become less of a case of will I get hacked and more about when will I get hacked. That's and right. the important thing that we need to worry about is what is the 
what are the steps going to be taken once that breach happens? Now, if you don't have a data contingency plan in place, if you don't know what will happen if you get breached, I highly recommend you reach out to your CISO and say, what is it? We need this documented and stapled to a door somewhere so everybody can see it. But it's something that has caused great concern. Now, the US Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, you know, back over in America's, making it more relevant to you, Bill, don't worry, they issued a warning on Thursday, Thursday of last week, to firms using MoveIt. And they have said, if you are using MoveIt, go to the vendor's website, download a security patch, and stop these further breaches. Now, Bill, if you have access to the internet and you have access to open source intelligence tools, it is incredibly easy for you to run a handful of queries to come across thousands of company databases that are still vulnerable to this patch. Sure. Theoretically, of course, if you had access to doing these things. Patches are slow, especially large organizations like airlines and digital media and financial mm -hmm. and banking. That everything has to require a risk assessment, a change window, a control process, which means that you cannot rapidly deploy a patch when you need it. True. And because of this, there are thousands of companies out there with their data potentially open to breach. Now, the chances that somebody will actively target these customers and actively think, yes, I will try and exfiltrate data is probably quite low. Similar to if you're walking through New York wearing a Rolex on your wrist, the chances of somebody trying to steal that watch are probably quite low until somebody notices you're wearing the Rolex on your wrist. Then they will start attracting, it, attracting attention. And even if it's not just one vendor, one threat actor going to steal it, you'd have other cyber scouts out there looking for vulnerabilities and selling this data onto other parties for attack, acting as a information fence. So we are seeing ransomware actors like Lockbit not attacking people directly, but sourcing their information from other vendors, people acting as data brokers, acting as information security brokers, and sending all that data over. Just like today, how we would pay somebody for a threat intel feed to help bolster our MDR or XDR services, threat actors are doing the same, but to look for vulnerabilities. Right. Now, patching is always a problem. And Bill, this is where the joys of perimeter security come in. Now, the honest answer, and I'm not trying to sell our product, but the honest answer is having some form of sassy vendor. Somebody sat in between the servers and the internet to mitigate that vulnerability. So even if your servers haven't been patched, you are acting as a middleman, a bodyguard, somebody <laughs> guarding the gate to stop the attackers get in, which buys you time to fix the problems that you have. And that is kind of the way. Now, we know that is the solution. And apologies, I'm in a monologue today. I've had six cups of coffee <laughs> and I've been running a whole bunch of training and talking. So it's interrupt true, me when true. you want. Now we know that these vendors are breached. We know that BBC are having problems. British Airways, Boots, they're a pharmaceutical chemist, similar to CVS. Aer Lingus, the, uh, not Australian, the Irish flight companies, they're all having big problems. But they're all infected and they're all having encrypted data. So obviously the next thing you'd expect is extortion. One of the six E's of ransomware. You want people to come in and take cash. But at the moment, no ransom demands have been made public. 
For so now. everything that I'm for now. At time of this recording, there's been no public announcement of a demand, which is intriguing. Um, so the next step would they'll be likely, well, they'll likely publish this data online somewhere or threaten to publish this data online to start that extortion process, which can be very troublesome. Hmm. So, sorry, I've, I've gone round in the circles, round in the circles. I'm used to just talking directly into a <laughs> camera and just listening to the sound of my own voice all the time. But through all this, you often have to wonder, who did it? Why did they do it? What are they trying yes. to come out with? So although no official attribution has been made, so please don't hold me legally to this, it's mm. believed the criminals responsible for this action are the notorious Klopp ransomware group. Mm -hmm. So Klopp are believed to be based in Russia. And we all say believed to be based because there's no 100% certainty. Oh, of course. But the, uh, that's with any threat actor, with any ransomware, with any hacker, it's far too easy to hide your location and spoof. So we're making presumptions. But, uh, and after all, the word Klopp is derived from the Russian word Klopp, which sounds like bedbug, I believe. So these threat actors are always so creative. Yeah, they're all about yeah. bedbugs. Because the Klopp mentality is to lay eggs somewhere. They would go, they would infiltrate, they would deploy their ransomware, and they would take some of the files and rename it to the .klop extension. So it's .clop. So they would sit and they'd wait. And when they'd wait, they'd start spreading their ransomware further and further, but without doing any damage at all, like bugs, like bed bug eggs spreading through a mattress. Only when the time is right do they all hatch and you all get taken over. So the Klopp ransomware group, they might already be in your network. They might have already infiltrated every edge, just they haven't hit that action switch. Right. Now, the tool that we think Klopp have used for this, and it still need formal verification, but this is an attribution, we believe this to be attributed to something called Lace Tempest. Lace Tempest. So Lace Tempest, it's hard to say, sorry, I'm tripping over my words, is known <laughs> for general ransomware operations. And once this is run and data is often put onto the Klopp extortion website, that's where the victim data gets published. Now, we have seen this many times from Klopp. This is not their first rodeo. This isn't their second rodeo either, because, oh my goodness, you have to learn a lot on your first rodeo whenever you do it. But in the past, they've used the similar data approaches to steal information, extort victims. And if you've paid attention to the security feeds at all in the past three years, their name pops up very, very rapidly. It does. And it's not just this one group that will be using the same attack vector. This data has been published, so other people will now dive and look at this open source information and start trying to take as much data as possible. Right. Now, the National Crime Agency, the NCA in the UK, they said that it was aware of an additional number of UK-based organizations that have been impacted by, and I quote, a cyber incident. And they believe that this has also been relating to the flaws in the MoveIt transfer software. So even though we've had a subset of individual companies already be, become public, we don't fully know the impact and the, the prominence of this vulnerability. Right. Does this have you scared, Bill? You know, this is something that one of these days, I really hope you and I, rather than, than doing our, our podcast the way that distance forces us to do, I would love for you and I to be able to sit together and really talk at a 
conceptual level about this mm-hmm. because there's so many things that that you covered there. You covered uh, extortion techniques, but you talked about it in the the context of maybe what somebody who likes to barbecue would say. They, they're doing the <laughs> low and slow, right? And in how they're going to actually act on their objective. And I'm going all the way back to Lockheed Martin kill chain here. Mm-hmm. So. And I, I can't help but think back long, long time ago, being fairly early in cybersecurity career and learning about, well, simple tools like Nmap and how you were warned not to go in there and basically spray to try to find where there were vulnerabilities, that you you take it slow, you go nice and slow, and that would help you to evade. So uh, to, back to your question, does it have me scared? This is the mode of operation that we're going to continue to see more and more. I I love that you taught me a little bit of Russian today, Robin, uh, about (laughs) Klopp and basically laying the eggs. I really do see that as defense evasion. I see that as a way forward for ransomware. Klopp is certainly in the top five uh, from a ransomware perspective right now. It's not number one. I think it may be number two or number three. But you're going to continue to see this. So scared, uh, you know, fortunately, we we have some ways to mitigate. Concerned? Most definitely. Uh, I mm-hmm. think we we really need to keep an eye on this. And as you you said very well, this is still unfolding. So what we could be seeing is initial stages of something that could uh, could execute all at once. And it really goes to motivation. I think eventually the the majority of them do come down to a financial motivation, but there are socially uh, motivated threat actors and we could be seeing a combination of those things. Certainly very interesting. Certainly something I think we need to keep our eyes open. I appreciate you bringing it up here today. Indeed. This attack is high profile. Therefore it's sexy. Therefore it has attention. Yes. There's tons of other vulnerabilities that don't have the same level of high-profile visibility, which are magnitudes of order worse and more dangerous. Sure. But they're hidden away, biding their time. So let's see how things play out. Yeah, I actually oh, sorry, read Bill. I, oh, no, sorry, it, it's good. I, I love what you said. Let's, let's pause on that for a moment. Be very careful in the cybersecurity world of chasing after what's new. You have to be mm-hmm. so careful about that because it is new. You, As you said, it's sexy. All eyes are there. What's happening in the background? This is not a single threaded process. So mm-hmm. very, very important to take the lesson that you just shared, Robin. It is new. It's very interesting. It's fun to watch. Fun. I don't know if that was the right word. <laughs> it's fun. Such is the nature I, of our profession, right? It's, we yeah. actually have fun with this. But no, you, you do, you need to be careful because there are still plenty of things that are happening in the background that could be orders of magnitude larger. Indeed. You're probably still vulnerable to Log4j, Heartbleed, Shellshock, Proxy Not Shell, and others. But hey, they're not in the news right now, but you're still That's vulnerable. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Bill, what, so after listening to me monologue for 10 plus minutes, and I apologize for your bleeding ears. No. What, what do you have for me today? Robin, it's remarkable how we don't really meet together to talk about what we're going to discuss before we, we come together. And yet somehow everything seems to converge. So what's been on my mind recently, and it's been in the news certainly, is the iOS zero-click malware 
Now, this is not anything new. We still don't know who the APT threat actor is on this, but this campaign has been going on, uh, it's got to be close to three years, Robin, that, that this iOS zero-click malware has happened. So for those who aren't familiar, and I think you're already familiar with it, Robin, but just to kind of share with our listeners, this zero-click malware essentially uses iMessage in iOS devices, sends an attachment Now, the reason this is so dangerous is that the user doesn't need to do anything. They don't need to click the attachment. It literally runs when it hits the device and essentially obtains root level control or administrator level control. Uh, Privileges are, are, are escalated. And then it actually gains control of the device as well as getting hold of the data. So you've heard of this, Robin, I'd presume? I have, I have. So yeah. just to summarize, I send you an email, you open it, and I gain all of your data. Well, that's one way to do it, but this one, I don't okay. even have to open it. Oh, wow. Okay. Right, literally hits iMessage, the, the, the text messaging piece of iOS, mm-hmm. and just the moment it hits the phone, it's it's good to go. And And what it will do, Robin, is as soon as it gets those privileges, the first thing it does is reaches out to a command and control server because it wants to pull down payload to to do additional good stuff. And then it will begin the exfiltration process. And it's not just things like, you know, personally identifiable information or or your pictures. Be careful the pictures you're taking with your phone, (laughs) right? We talked about that. But it is literally doing things like exfiltrating geolocation data so they know where you are. They're also exfiltrating recordings off of your microphone that's in the phone. Oh boy. Mm -hmm. So they're hearing it right They're They're hearing what's going on. Now you may be inclined to say, well, Bill, wasn't this actually patched uh, after version 15.7 of iOS? And yes, that's Mm -hmm. absolutely true. So uh, as long as you are later than 15.7 right now, right? Unless Mm -hmm. this malware evolves, if you're later than 15.7, you should be protected. The other aspect of this is it's a non-persistent malware. So if you bounce your phone, it goes away. Problem is you can be reinfected. So uh, it'll come back again and again. The safest bet is to to patch. But two points, Robin. And you, you really touched on... Uh, the second of these points. But the the first point that I want to make is really around mobile device policy. We're all carrying these things today. (laughs) Businesses are really still struggling with what kind of a model they want to adopt when it comes to mobile devices. There's a huge benefit to, to your workforce being able to work off of mobile devices. But what is the policy? Do you do Kobo, uh, corporate-owned, um, business only? Uh, do you do COPE? It's corporate-owned, but it's personally enabled. Or do you mm-hmm. go full-on BYOD? Whatever device you have, you, you go ahead and you bring that. The trade-off that you have to make, though, is privacy versus security. Yeah. Uh, you know, does the business want to split traffic so that if you're spending time out on TikTok, you go ahead and do that. But if you want to access a corporate resource, 
then it gets security inspection. You can certainly do that, but that is a wide open threat vector, right? You're, mm -hmm. you're basically opening yourself up for whatever this user may accidentally or, or maybe even potentially purposefully mm -hmm. load on to the device. So that's number one. What, what, Robin, I, I'd, I'd love to know your perspective of, you know, Kobo, Cope, and BYOD. Where, where do you kind of fall on that spectrum of what's the right way for, for mobile devices? What are your thoughts? There, there is no right way. That's the, the big challenge. If you give business only devices and you say, this is your work phone, only carry it and use it for work purposes. Right. That, won't stop people handing it to their children or they won't stop people going to the internet somewhere or right. say, uh, people will use personal device uh, sorry business devices for personal reasons yes. because who wants to carry two plus phones around with them sure so you might think okay you can bring your personal phone and your personal phone you can install outlook onto it and download all the employee device um, messages but then you have to worry about your device policy of what happens if your phone gets stolen. Do you, is it locked down? Do you have the right passwords? Are you going to leak company data anywhere? But then if you, if you employ passwords on a personal device, does it then become a corporate asset? What right. happens when somebody leaves the company? Does you wipe that device? Do you lose all of your personal photos? That's really, really challenging. So right. I'm seeing more, more and more businesses adopt a model of, Use personal devices. Mm -hmm. We will reimburse you for your personal devices. Use it for personal reasons. If you want business applications, we will lock it behind an IP gateway or we will lock it that, uh, somewhere you need to install a VPN concentrator or an SDP client is the ideal way. It but is. There, I don't think there's one T-shirt size that fits all here. Yeah, there's really not. It, it really is going to continue to be a conundrum. And as I mentioned, it is a trade-off. It, it is privacy versus security. Certainly, mobile devices are convenient. In our instance here, we have a, a piece of malware that's being utilized by an unknown advanced persistent threat that requires no user interaction whatsoever. So it is a wide open threat vector. Mm -hmm. And you really have to make some decisions around... Uh, agility versus uh, the, the the way that you actually want to secure your data. So I, that was kind of mm -hmm. point number one. And I, I think there's a lot of room for discussion on that. I, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. Utilizing a software-defined perimeter is going to be the key uh, compromise, I guess you would say. I think it is the best approach because it does provide a compromise between that security and that privacy and certainly makes it attractive from the perspective of asset management. And uh, Robin, the, the the other piece that you, you've literally walked all around is mobile device management. <laughs> it is effective from the perspective of being able to lock a device and so forth. But just like anything else, it's the same thing that's a risk in the office, although maybe less or so because of perimeter controls, physical perimeter mm -hmm. controls. Um, when you're using a mobile device out at a at a coffee shop of your your favorite designation, it's just so easy to grab that screenshot over the shoulder or whatever the case mm -hmm. may be. But that that was kind of point number one is is you know your policy on the management. But the, I think the second point that's really important to consider with this example is patching of appliances, and that's the part you were all over earlier too, Robin. Patching of appliances is always going to be a struggle. And we even try to do it centrally. You think about that for a second. Really, uh, Apple, 
who who obviously owns iOS, they they try to push the security updates centrally, but there still is no guarantee. Why? Well, devices may be different. People are different. We certainly know that. Yep. There are people who never update uh, their, the, the, the level of the, of iOS on their device. They, they ignore that little badge, Robin. That's, that's one of the most difficult things for me to do on my mobile device is ignore <laughs> that badge that says, Hey, there's something here for you to do. Uh, and you want to talk about a way that you could potentially exploit me, right? Just make the badge <laughs> pop up, but, but they are different, right? And, and time spent patching, uh, some people just never even consider that. And this, this, this is a human condition when it comes mm-hmm. to IT. This holds true in organizations. Patching is time consuming. It takes yes. time. And when you have an appliance-based approach, whether you're talking about servers, you're talking about firewalls and switches, when you have an appliance-based approach, it means that of necessity, you are going to have to burn hours doing patching to try to ensure the safety of your environment to try to comply to policies. So that takes away the time that we could be spending being much more intelligent, not only about our security posture, but also our policies, the ways that we implement them. It it really just, it reduces our effectiveness because we're having to do the mundane day to day. The bottom line is we have to get to a point where we can stop thinking in terms of tool sets, mm-hmm. right? I'm secure because I have these tools. It's a terrible mindset to get into, and it will result in you having to patch. You need to start thinking about security in terms of, of uh, Intel, in terms mm-hmm. of policy, in terms of compliance, GRC compliance, we have to be able to start thinking in those terms. Yes. Well, how do I you mean, do that? Well, I see it. If you get punched in the face and you lose a tooth, you don't go to somebody and say, oh, the reason that you lost the tooth is because you don't have a gum guard. You should buy a gum guard. Right. No, no. Pay attention to the full thing. So, so right. how do we do this, Bill? Well, so what we, we need to be able to do is, you know, in, in terms of those who are trying to build that security posture, there needs to be some way that we can remove the burden or at least lessen the burden of patching or signatures or, or you know, any number of these things that are essential to, to try to keep the security posture strong as threats evolve. And they will evolve. They will always evolve. Mm-hmm. So by, by adopting a service mindset, especially from the security standpoint in executing on patching and executing on keeping things up to date. If we can do that portion of security as a service, that then frees us up, the the individuals, the organizations, the ones who are intimately familiar Mm -hmm. with what's important. When we free those individuals up to look at things from the perspective of security and policy and compliance, getting much more intelligent around threat hunting and intel, mm-hmm. that is absolutely critical. Absolutely critical. And that's that's why I'm proud to do what you and I do day to day. That's to yeah. be able to offload that from folks so that they get much more intelligent about their security. 
That's good. You know, patching is often done on weekends and evenings and out of hours. But when it comes down to it, the only people that will ever remember that you went above and beyond isn't your boss. It's not your business. It's your family. And they'll say, why weren't you there in the evenings? Why weren't you there in the weekends? That's business right. comes and goes. And upgrades and patches, they just compound negativity. So being able to be freed up to work on the things that care and the things that really matter to your world, that is the important thing. That's right. So That's on right. that positive topic, Bill, I guess it's time for me to go and spend time with my family. Until next time, brother, stay safe and be well. Yep, you as well. Take care, Robin. <laughs>